Hi everybody and welcome to Casting Cast, the North American Die Casting Association's official podcast. My name is Athena Catlett and I am the Advertising and Promotions Manager at NACOP. And I am Paul Brinkley. I'm the Director of Research, Education and Technology here at the North American Die Casting Association. So the topic we're going to cover today specifically in broad terms is the economic outlook and trends in diecasting. So I'd like to start out by introducing our two guests. Uh, first off is, is Greg Reich. He's the president and CEO of Gibbs Diecasting Corporation and Eric Treiber, president and CEO of Chicago White Metal Castings. So to kind of get this started and to um, get the ball rolling, uh, we want to introduce everybody to our guests first and give a little bit of information about you guys. So Eric, I'm going to start with you first. Um, basically, we want to know who you are, um, a little bit about your company, the markets that you serve, products that you produce, how those go into our everyday lives. And then because this is the topic of the day, the number one challenge you see facing Americans um, in American businesses. Oh, sure. Thanks, Athena. I'm glad to be here today. Uh, so Chicago Metal Casting is a family-owned business founded in 1937 by my grandfather. So we're celebrating our 86th year in business this year. Uh, my father joined the company in 59 and he just retired a couple years ago. Uh, and so I've been here for 34 years and we've got a great dedicated team of about 200 individuals. Um, long tenured people who uh, we think really enjoy uh, working at Chicago at Metal and being part of our team. Um, we're a, a really diverse company. Uh, we've, we've made that one of our goals to serve a lot of different markets and a lot of different customers. So we're in automotive, medical, dental, consumer products, industrial, electronics, uh, telecommunications. We try to keep very broad. Um, we're making uh, products that go into um, everything as simple as a shaver, uh, to swimming pools, uh, to automotive applications, to uh, a dentist chair um, or uh, MRI systems in a hospital. And um, so it's, it's very diverse. And uh, our goal is to you know, keep that diversity so that when we come through challenging economic times, Kind of what we see ourselves in right about now and, and maybe for the past two or three quarters um, that, that we can kind of weather those storms uh, a little bit easier than perhaps a, a, a cast or other manufacturing company that's focused on one market, say automotive or appliances or lawn and garden or something like that. So maintain our diversity. Um, as far as the biggest challenges that we're facing right now. I think it continues to be just the fact that the costs of doing business continue to rise as they have over the past few years. And we all saw that, whether it was labor or other aspects of doing business, and that our customers' appetite and, and tolerance for um, ongoing or annual pricing adjustments, whether it's raw materials or, or just economic increases, that tolerance has really waned uh, at, as we've come out of the pandemic and, and other 
inflationary situations and they, they don't they don't really want to hear too much anymore that that we need to keep adjusting costs upward and you just kind of go figure it out so we're focused very strongly on automation here at chicago white metal for a number of reasons one is just the inability to attract new labor um, another reason is for consistency uh, and efficiencies of operations and then obviously uh, in an effort to keep labor costs down Great. Great. So we're going to touch on a bunch of things that you talked about because I want to come back to that. I want to introduce Greg first um, and get a little bit more information about you. Same same question. You who you are, kind of a brief history on your company, market served, um, as well as what you think the number one challenge um, facing uh, American businesses is right now. Yes, very good. Thanks for having me. So Gibbs Diecasting has been around for nearly uh, 60 years. Uh, like Eric's business, it's, it was started with a family and it was bought by another family and that family has owned it for about 55 years. So uh, it's it's very much that kind of atmosphere, uh, not so much a corporate settings, much as a, a family value. So I, I can appreciate Eric's uh, uh, landscape as well. Uh, we, we do focus primarily on automotive. Uh, so we've got a few products that are not automotive, but for the most part, it is that. Uh, we, we produce a lot of parts. We have both vertical and horizontal die casting. So we, we have a, a wide range of products that we do make. Uh, primarily, it's, it's a lot of driveline uh, transmission, uh, but there's a lot of covers, uh, things like battery boxes and uh, covers and heat sinks, um, housing units, uh, kind of can go anywhere all around the vehicle. So it's not focused really just on, on one or two areas. It's, it's kind of anywhere. Um, and I would have to echo a little bit uh, in regards to Eric's point of some of the challenges is, you know, and it's easy to say, wow, inflation has, has been uh, tough, but I, I, I don't necessarily think it's stopping. And so to Eric's point, it continues on. So even if you, you know, think that you got yourself in good position, say even last year on, okay, we, we've got, a, you know, many of our contracts level set, or we, we had made an adjustment and, and, and negotiated that uh, successfully and, then all of a sudden it keeps coming. And, and to Eric's point, it's, it's uh, not well received when you come back to the well again. But the reality is it's there. Um, there are a few things in regards to inflation that are just not going to back off. They're going to be really sticky. So whereas you might read a report from the Fed or, or some um, media agency in regards to oh, inflation's dropping or this or that is cooling off, well, it, my costs aren't going down. I don't, I don't see that. So the, the challenge there is to to run a profitable business, right? Um, like Eric, I'm not running a nonprofit. So uh, it's, a, it's a challenge. And, and then second, going with that, certainly an area that everybody is facing is uh, labor. So uh, to his point on automation, couldn't echo that more. Working on not just automation, but what are even the little things that maybe historically you said, well, I'm only gonna put in that automation if there's you know pure paybacks. Now you have to consider how do I how do I introduce automation that might just make jobs a little easier and less onerous so that people want to work, you know, maybe more apt to work in that in that job. So it's not just, hey, does it just eliminate a body, but does it help or make it better ergonomically, safety, health, or just, you know, the, the satisfaction of being able to do the job a little easier. So uh, it's, it's a wide range that the current world is, is for, forcing us to come on. And maybe I can add one other perspective is that 
uh, I've been at Gibbs a little over three years. So I started in March of 2020. So if anybody else became a first time CEO in March of 20, <laughs> uh, I feel their pain. So it's, it's been it's been quite the ride. Uh, and I don't expect it's going to stop anytime soon. Thank you guys, um, both just for telling us a little bit more about yourselves. I'm going to kind of flip it over to Paul a little bit um, just to kind of start the ball rolling as far as different topics we want to address. I think there's a ton of stuff that we want to dive into. Um, so Paul, I'm going to flip it over to you. So we see, you know, a lot of the economics you guys talked about and we see changes in, in our companies. Uh, we see a lot of challenges in our companies, kind of what, what you guys echoed here. Uh, along with that, um, we've got regulatory changes. So you have you guys, uh, are you guys aware of those? Uh, some of the changes that are happening regulatory wise, as far as um, the tax and the fact that the R&D tax credit can't be, uh, it's got to be amortized now. Uh, I know, you know, a lot of our politicians are working on that. And, and how is that affecting some of the investment that you're making into your company? Start with you, Eric. Um, you know, on, on the R&D side, are you guys backing off of R&D? Are you still progressing? And, and what kind of cost does that have with you guys? So, yeah, that's certainly alarming. And, and as you noted, our, our, our folks are working on that and we're hoping that maybe there'll be some positive uh, you know, resolutions in that area, and only time will tell. We have not really backed off on our uh, R&D and, and investment in the company um, simply because it, it, our future is really dependent on making those investments and adjusting our those that are going to help us adjust our internal labor costs. And so even without having the tax credits that we might get, we're going to continue investing. And we just, you know, if it means um, a different payback and less tax benefits, we're just going to keep going forward. It's, it's unfortunate that it's, it's viewed as a, as a perk for businesses. And I think that a lot of that is, is a result of larger, larger corporations, you know, the, the multinational billion dollar corporations, hundreds of millions of dollars corporations that maybe, and I don't have any firsthand knowledge here, but maybe abuse these types of things versus small businesses that really, really take advantage of it. And it's sad that there can't be a two tiered system where small businesses and, and you, know, you know, family held companies can take advantage and get we have this set of criteria and other companies have a different set of criteria. Probably, that's probably a big ask in Washington. Well, and, and I see that. And I think that, you know, what you just said is true. We're seeing not only multinational companies, but companies that are specifically in other countries where they're doing tremendous amount of investment. And, and we're, we in the United States are seeing that all curtailed um, or, or, you know, or penalized for, for doing that investment. And, uh, you know, for you, Greg, do you guys... Do you, do you do a lot of R&D and, and then, you know, how, how does that affect your company? Yeah, I, I, I would say that, you know, we do a fair amount of R&D. However, I, I do not see it any differently than Eric at all. It, it is disappointing because, you know, we don't have the, uh, you know, the, the buying power of these, these really large companies that are able to afford these things and uh, not worry about what the tax treatment might be. So I, I put R&D into that category of, geez, this makes that less affordable now. However, uh, 
I also can't not afford it. I, you know, you have to do it. Your competitors are going to, and you know, if, if, if you're thinking down the road, as, as I know Eric does as well, when you're thinking down the road, if you pause now, you'll pay much more later. So you won't win business, you won't progress. And, and, yep. and your, your team members want to be a part of that kind of organization that's pushing it and they have a good future and, and they're, they're leading to something better that, uh, to Eric's point, is whether it helps on the labor side, which helps competitive uh, position. It's, it's just that that's more fun to be on the cutting edge and to, to move forward. And, and that's that's how this industry has always been is, is progressing. Right. I don't I don't see um, the die casting industry in North America as one that sits still. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't thank um, you know, the people in industry as much as I have in the last three years. They've helped me understand things. And it's interesting to see the collaboration uh, among the industry. It's, it's incredible. OK. And, and then with the, you know, that capital investment, uh, that R&D with uh, other areas that, that you guys both mentioned is, you know, challenges in, uh, in, in rising prices. You can't pass that on anymore. You, you can't um, push that down to your customers. You've got to find ways. And once again, it comes back to that R&D and, and redesigning who you are and redefining who you are. Uh, whether that's your automation that you mentioned, Eric, or, or you, or you, Greg, uh, I think those are, are really great areas of, of investment, and and the only ways that we as as American companies are, are going to uh, see that advantage. Uh, I just received a, a, an email from a friend of mine who uh, his company and his company's model is to purchase castings from uh, Asia and bring them into the United States. And, and his comment to me is that his company has now um, been directed by his customers, which were all U.S.-based customers, to shift to a no-China supply policy. And so he is, is scrambling to look at other low-cost countries uh, and find other solutions. He's not a die-caster. All they do is purchase and broker castings, specifically die-castings. Uh, but his his now direction is to find, you know, either low cost countries or to move into Mexico. So are you guys seeing any of that, you know, that that no China supply policy affecting some of your businesses? And we'll come we'll start with you, Greg. Um, are you guys seeing any opportunities from the fact that we, we do have this tension that exists with other countries worldwide? And, and are you seeing any opportunities from that? Yes, we are. So first, I think Eric and I both would love it if you'd forward our contact information to your friends. If we can help them out. <laughs> I can do that. Well said, Greg. Well said. I can do that. We're all friends here. So I, I, yeah, we do hear that. I, I don't. I have not heard somebody say something as direct as, "Hey, we can't do business with China," or "We have an ad," you know go away from China. But, you know, just uh, what I usually hear is they want to they want to near shore. They, they want to uh, move uh, away from offshore. Uh, that's generally the comments that I get. However, uh, it's, it gets a little sticky because to your point, they're not just going to go from uh, prices from China to, you know, the Midwest uh, here in the U.S. So they, they are looking at, at Mexico and other places. So we, we do see more opportunities and we're hearing more of those. Uh, I think they're trying to mitigate many things. Uh, they're trying to maybe meet some some new regulations in regards to you know uh, labor 
you know, whether it be in North America or they're, they're trying to meet some kind of content specification. But also, I think they're trying to ultimately mitigate risks throughout the supply chain. So we, we do see some more opportunities, but it's a little hard for them, you know, when, when you when you go f- when you go from overseas to something maybe a little closer, you're going to have to pay more uh, because just the j- difference in economies. Uh, and so that's that may be a little hard on them. But ultimately, they have these strategic objectives, and um, we're, we're seeing that they're they're serious and they're real. And so there there is some opportunity there. Are you seeing anybody try to combine castings? I mean, we, we've seen that now in, in the structural arena, and we're going to get to structural castings a little bit later on today. But are you seeing anybody trying to take multiple castings and put them into one to actually reduce some of those assembly costs? Uh, you know, are, are you seeing any design changes that, that could you know help bring those products back? Yeah, for, for us, we, we don't we're not playing in the structural world. However, we, we do hear from time to time, yeah, they're trying to take X and trying to see if they can do something differently. And so we, we are kind of known for that in the automotive world at Gibbs uh, to have a, a lot of design help uh, on the front end. So we see that a little bit more than normal these days, for sure. Okay. And, and then, you know, for you, Eric, are you, you know, you cast multiple alloys and uh, not, not just aluminum, but are you seeing any... Uh, pushback from foreign countries to or new opportunities for you? I'm going to echo, Paul, I'm going to echo really the same comments or feedback that Greg provided. So no, no, nobody's saying, you know, put a, put a ban on uh, sourcing out of China. <clears throat> we uh, ourselves have sourced out of China uh, tooling for a good decade or more. And it, it, it pains me that we have to do that, but we wouldn't even, I wouldn't even be talking with you all right now if we hadn't done that um, over 10 years ago. And so we found a, a great source in the Shenzhen area and we work with them directly and, and they've, they've helped us really survive and, and get tooling at a fair price. But in the past two to three years, more so than ever, we've had customers uh, not say don't source out of China, but they've been more open to domestic because of the fact that they had their own concerns about supply chain and logistics and the ports in LA and what have you. So we've we've been able to build more tooling domestically in the past few years than we have in 10 years before that. And we're, we're very happy to see that. Similarly to what Greg said, though, regarding supply of castings for people that are buying offshore, yeah, there, there's there's a, there's very low appetite for going right from a China price to a uh, United States price, and as a result, that that onshoring we're seeing is 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 going to Mexico, and um, quite frankly, I'm I, you know I'm kind of getting sick of it. We're we're getting our our, our lunch handed to us, uh, losing a lot of opportunities. We we're flat out told that that you know we were we were uh, outbid on a project by a source from Mexico, and so. Um, we're, we're seeing some real stiff competition in that area. Uh, and, um, it's, it's, I think it's, it's going to change the landscape at least for the next few years. I don't know if it's going to be a, a decades long thing, but I, I see some, some stiff competition coming from Mexico in the, in the near term as people look to source somewhere else other than China. Well, and, and I agree with your comment there, the, the, the Mexican market has grown from 50 to 100 casters uh, 10 years ago to last year being upwards of you know, over 300 casters. So we've seen this 300% increase in, in the number of casting companies 
in, in Mexico. Definitely, you know, uh, a real competition or competitive point for U.S. diecasters. And, 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 and you know, Paul, I, I'm, yeah, I'm not that well versed in what those diecasters are doing, but it's my understanding that a lot of them are automotive. So maybe Greg is, is feeling that even more or is in more in tune with that than I am. Yeah, I, I definitely see it. Uh, the, the, the point would be is that there, there has been a lot of growth. And so not a lot of them maybe have credibility in the market yet, but it will come, right? I mean, the, the, the reality is, is uh, you know, the e- economics are, you know, pretty healthy to, to go down there. And so uh, they may not have much of a track record. So, it, it, but I, I think these guys are going to start making bets here and there, and they're going to, they're going to try to balance that out. And so the longer it goes and the better it goes, the smoother it goes, then they're going to be more comfortable. So yeah, it's a scary thought. I, I agree. So I want, I want to shift gears just a little bit, uh, things that both of you mentioned uh, in your kind of opening remarks, and, and that's your employees, you know, finding and retaining employees, challenges, real big challenges for here in the United States, you know, and primarily with uh, un, unemployment, or excuse me, unemployment levels as low as they are, um, really tough to find those qualified people and then have them stay. So, you know, what kind of thoughts or strategies on flexibility? I think that's a that's a big word for today, and uh, you know how how employers are trying to be flexible with their employees, uh, accommodate them. Some employers are are going to less than forty hour work weeks, and they're having more employees, uh, but allowing them those three and four days off. And frankly, with this generation right now, some are, are you know really taking that. So, I, I, what kind of thoughts do you guys have in that area? Start with you, uh, Eric. Yeah, that's uh, definitely a critical topic. The the um, landscape of, of employment has changed dramatically in the past few years. Prior to um, COVID, we had a very strong um, business model using a, a, a good deal of uh, contract staffing associates. And during COVID, when wages were increasing substantially, um, those individuals would, would go across the street for a quarter. And so we changed that model and we onboarded a lot of those um, contract staffing associates, uh, over 60 people in the past few years. That's been very advantageous for us as they saw that there was a pathway to becoming a full-time Chicago employee and that word spread pretty quickly. And so um, once we got through that hurdle of, of labor shortage during COVID, we've actually been doing pretty well uh, in that area. Ironically, just before COVID started, um, we implemented a concept we had been toying with for a number of years, which was having a flex day each week. It's pretty much for the salaried team, just because an hourly person doesn't want to work less because they're not going to get 40 hours. But, but we made some changes there later on. But so we implemented this flex day and, and all of the, the management team um, gets a day off every week. And so we've asked you to put in some more hours on those four days that you're here and everyone loves it. And I've, I've had people say, look, you've extended my career. I, I don't know how many more years I could have done five days a week, but four days a week. And, you know, knowing that on Thursday it's the last day of the week or on Sunday, you're not going to work on Monday. Um, and we, we stagger those so that we always have coverage for our customers and our suppliers and our team members here. And it's been a great benefit um, for for everyone here. And then where we can, we've gone to, let's say four tens. Um, so uh, maybe we're running uh, Monday through Thursday 
and people get uh, people out on the production floor get Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. And um, that's, of course, very well received. Free time, time with your family, um, even less travel costs, one, one day less driving to and from work. Um, so we have certainly uh, adjusted our, our model to um, better accommodate today's labor force, which is definitely uh, a labor force that wants different things than five to 10 years ago. I agree with that. And, you know, I, I'd never heard of the flex day, Eric, but, you know, I think that's a really great thing, especially for your salary workforce and for them to put in, you know, extra hours, four days a week, and then, you know, take a Wednesday off or take a Thursday off, you know, wherever that that particular day is. I think that's innovative. I think that uh, it shows that you're willing to work with them. They get more time with their family or more time to do whatever they need to do with their kids. Um, and I, I think it's, you know, kudos to you and your company. And it, it, it is, great. it is a flex. Thank you very much. And it is a flex day. So flex short for flexible. So we do ask that people on that day off, you know, maybe, you know, keep that phone close by, or, you know, you might get a phone call or a yeah. text or an email or something like that. Um, but in general, like for me, people know where to find me on a Friday afternoon in the summertime, I'll be on the first tee around noon. And so that's how it works. <laughs> Well, that's really cool. That's yeah. really cool. What about you, Greg? Yeah, I, I appreciate Eric's perspective in regards to figuring out, okay, what, what are my challenges and how do I fix that? Uh, I, I think for us, you know, we're not maybe geographically that far from Eric, but far enough that we have maybe a, a little bit different dynamic. I don't really have a hard time filling the professional positions or the salary positions. It's, it's much more on the hourly side and not necessarily on the skilled side uh, as, as much as the more entry-level jobs uh, or, you know, the operators. So it's a challenge. And I, I think for us, um, there's, there's times where I think, I think we could add $5 an hour and I don't think it would make any difference. That's, that's hmm. not everything. And I think that used to be like 80% of the equation and it's much, much less now. And so to your point, the flexibility or the other perks or the other things, uh, they are starting to mean a lot. And so as we blend in uh, maybe the, the newer generations, the younger generations on what they want, trying to appease them yet not throwing, you know, the others out. And if, if I, if we have policies that impact kind of one group and not another group that that's not going to work because we're trying to promote one team. So for us, it's a, it's a bit of a challenge to have, you know, everybody on the same page. We've got, you know, five, four plant, four main plants that are running 24 hours a day. And if we need to do overtime, we'll do overtime. But, uh, and some of that can be in week for some people and, and some on the weekend, but, um, to, to Eric's point is figuring out, okay, how do I, how do I find the challenge and, and meet something that works for everybody? And I really like the, the solution that he's using of, okay, we can create this flexibility and it won't hurt the team because everybody's going to be respectful enough to each other to know, Hey, it might be that person's flex day off, or they might be out. However, they respect the, the granting of that day off or that time out so that if the phone does ring or they do get an email, they'll be glad to do that because they, they are supporting it. So in the same way, now flip that, flip that over to the operations side. What do you, what do you have to do to keep people? And so uh, my, my, my spider sense says that I'm able to attract enough people. It's really keeping people. And so I, that tells me that I believe the wages and the benefits 
are at market or good enough that, that people are coming. I think the question is, especially when you have a week like last week with the weather, die casting is probably not so much fun. If you're you know new to the industrial world, you can probably find something a little easier. Um, you know, go work at Lowe's or, or something, but uh, maybe not for as much money. But so, it's, but it's not just all about money. They want that flexibility. Uh, they want a career path. They want to work for somebody who's doing you know something in the community. Not everybody's the same, so you got to hit on all these things. And so there's there's maybe a topic that we call things. How, how we approach it is we have our employer of choice initiatives. And man, is that a laundry list on you know in the last three years that went from hey we want to be a we want to be the place to work. We want to be very involved in the community. When we want to take care of, of our team members, we, we use the word team member. We don't ever use the word employee. And it may seem like a, a little slight of, of uh, speech, but no, it's a big deal uh, for people to take care of each other. So you want to feel like you're part of something, not just, I'm just making parts. So I often say that, you know, we're not just making parts. There's something much more going on um, to try to promote what we're doing. And so, it may be simple to say, you know, if you come to work at Gibbs, you know, welcome to the automotive world. However, on every line, when, when a team member comes in to work, they flip open that book to say, okay, what, what are we making on this line today? They'll see a picture of the vehicle, the part, the, the company that we're making it for, and where it goes on that vehicle. So they know exactly what's going on. So I've, I've encouraged all of them, please annoy your family every time you're going down the road saying, oh, I made a part for that car. Oh, I made a part for that car. You know, they're part of something, right? They're not just making a part. So um, it, takes a, it takes a lot of effort to do all these things. Not all of them cost money. They just cost a little energy. Uh, but we have certainly uh, tried to add flexibility and, and things that people need. Uh, that, that will help them stay. To Eric's point, it's just not like it used to be. I do have a team member who is who has been here for 52 years and he's still working and he said, Greg, please don't make me retire. And I'm like, no, no, of course not. You know, if you're if you're you're having a good time and, and you're being productive, you know, certainly keep at it. So there 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 are those, right? You've got a lot of people that have been here 35, 40 years, and then you've got a, a good fair amount of people that have been here too. So uh, it's a good blend of those, but uh, trying to figure out what the younger generations is, it's, uh, it's quite the uh, challenge to, to solve. Hey, Greg, if you could send me over an application, that'd be great. Yeah, <laughs> we'll hey. Hey, hey, listen, listen, there's, there's no end to it. Last Friday, well, all right, I'll, I'll, let me rewind. Last year when it got a little more tighter than, you know, we are normally used to, I said, okay, you know, we're going to keep going on our employer choice initiatives. However, and in some ways, and now I'm going to talk out of the other side of my mouth, I'm kind of tired of talking about it. Uh, it's time for me to get out there and work. And so I said, management team, please follow my lead. I'm going to start working a four hour shift every week and I'm going to chip in. So somebody is not going to work at 12. Somebody's going to go home with their family. Somebody's going to go to their kid's ball game, um, whatever. I don't care if they go home and take a nap, but they're not going to work because I'm going to work in their place. So complete volunteer basis, you know, guys, let's go. And so I worked 30 of those shifts last year best professional and personal decision I ever made because it got me closer to our teammates. It got me closer to the products. It got me closer to the machinery and I understood so much more in it and it really tore down a wall. And so all of a sudden ideas and conversations came flowing. So, you know, we ratcheted up certain things because I've now connected with them, right? Uh, second shift has now adopted me. And so I'm, I'm one of them now. And so that's, that makes first shift and third shift jealous. But uh, there's a there's a greater connection in between office and, and plant floor, 
And so certain events, like say we, we promote United Way a lot. Well, all right, so what do we do for United Way? All right, everybody gets tickets and you can put them in different buckets to get prizes. So what did I do last week? I washed five cars personally in our parking lot, aside from working four hours in the plant that day. And it was, the heat index was over 110. So do people look and say, all right, he's with us. I, I, want, I want to work here. Yeah, so whatever it takes, I'm in. I'll ta- I've taken a pie in the face. I've done it all. Whatever it takes. Eric, make note. That's, that's, I, that's awesome stuff, Greg. Kudos. It, it is. I, I think, you know, it, not only for them to know what parts they're making and taking pride in what they're making, but then passing it on to that younger group, two and three and four year old employees who, you know, get to get that pride instilled in them, then it continues on. I, I think that's, you know, and, and then for you guys to step out in the production atmosphere, Absolutely. Working shoulder to shoulder with somebody, uh, they, they get a new sense of who you are. Sure. That, that's a really good way to do it. So uh, I'm going to shift one more time and we're going to kind of think about, uh, you know, in our industry, there, there's been a lot of changes. May not in your companies particularly, but I just want your perspective, you know, because when we look at die casting today, the workhorse, the workhorse of the diecast industry is that 800, 900 ton diecast machine that that really combines or eats up most of the, the overall tonnage and hours of production. Um, I mean, there's a lot of small diecasters or small diecast machines. Uh, you know, somebody like QuickCast who's, who's using mini cast machines, Dynacast, uh, you know, and then there's those mid-range diecasters. But now we move to these giga and mega machines. What are your thoughts on those? I mean, right now, the biggest machine being built is a 16,000 ton diecast machine. There are two of those in construction by LK right now. The two biggest machines in production today are two 12,000 ton diecast machines. Both, and, and once again, I'm told by LK that these are in a non-automotive application in China. Um, but once again, 12,000 ton diecast machines. Uh, th- those are just you know, massive machines. What are your thoughts on those? And, and you know, um, how does that affect you guys? Start with you, Eric. Well, right now, directly, probably not much of an effect. We're, we're definitely in the, the smaller range machines 200 well actually 80 ton machines up up to a thousand ton machine and that was recently purchased you know three four years ago that's the largest that we have here so that's a different world one that i'm not familiar with one that we would never ever be able to play in because our facility is 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 not sized to have something like that so um it's it's probably not something i'll ever ever be uh, really exposed to unless I happen to visit one of those companies. There's concern on, on my part if, it, if, it, uh, if it's leading towards an overall change in where the industry is going. And, and, but I, at the same time, I, there still has to always be demand for smaller die castings. I mean, I, I don't see how that would go away. The indirect uh, and more um, immediate concern, and one you might not really think of, and I won't, certainly won't mention any names, but the manufacturer of our newest thousand ton machine 
is uh, very difficult to get a hold of when we need service support and technical support because they are really focused on supporting the installs of 3,000 and 4,000 ton machines that are at some other companies, which I won't mention, but that, that, that really grab all of their attention. And um, so indirectly that that causes us some concern because if we got a machine down we can't get the manufacturer in here to help us because we're just a small fish in a giant pool um that's a little bit concerning that makes it tough i i think and i agree if you're if you're not getting the service and and they're devoting all their attention to these three thousand four thousand ton diecast uh, installs and machine operations um frankly that's that's not the breadth of the market, that thousand ton machine is really the workhorse of the market. And yeah, that makes it really difficult to, uh, to, to see that in that industry. Uh, for you, Greg, um, you know, what are your comments on, on these bigger machines? Obviously, well, first, um, first, I'm a little disappointed. I, I thought all of us had two or three of those 10,000 ton machines on order. So I can't believe Eric. I personally have just have one in my backyard. Yeah. yeah I first, I would say, you know, to Eric's business, you know, Eric's business is like, this is, that's Americana, you know, there, there are a lot of people employed using, you know, those type of tonnage machines and they are making a lot of great things that I don't believe will ever get replaced by somebody's 10,000 ton machine. I think it's apples and oranges all together. So I think Eric's safe. At the same time, I, our, our range today is 850 to 2000 ton. So we're kind of what I would call definitely a, a medium to smaller size, but uh, Eric is making just a lot of different products that we, we do not, we make some bigger things. But we do hear from time to time, or we're asked by you know some of our customers, hey, you know, have you considered getting into this or making these big things? Those are really big bets. Those are really big bets. Those machines are going to be pricey, uh, and it's going to take up quite the footprint. And you know, you better fill it up with volume, otherwise you're going to get killed, right? So um, somebody's going to have a lot of cash to to make those bets. Um, I, I I hear it from time to time, but I, I don't see it as any. It, as far as the product lines or the things that we make, you know, nobody's going to make those using that big of a machine. They're, they're going to make something different. I, I really do appreciate the, the innovation that's going into those uh, giga presses and, and what they're doing and how they're able to, you know, create one big monster casting versus multiple ones. Um, I can't imagine every time you have to scrap one, it's pretty pricey. But uh, I, I like the thought. I don't know what that's going to mean for if that was, let's say, let's, in, in my world, in the automotive world, okay, you're making some huge long frame that goes the length of the vehicle and it covers this and that and it's really complex. What happens when there's a wreck? How do you yeah. remember that? You know, I, I don't I just, I don't, my, my, my pea brain doesn't grasp all of it, but I, I think it's really cool innovation wise. I just don't know how practical it is, uh, but um, I, I think those are some big bets that I wouldn't anticipate us getting into anytime soon. Okay. So, you know, outside of the gigapresses, you know, we, we've got the whole EV, ATV, PHEV, you know, that whole market that is, is somewhat being legislated to us. Being, you know, we're being told that uh, cafe standards are, are going to change and, you know, everybody eventually is going to drive electric vehicles and you know that that's what we hear from the media uh how does ev or how does that market uh, affect you guys are you guys seeing work in the ev or are you guys 
still working on the automotive side in the uh, internal combustion engine and in the ice area. Start with you, Greg. Yeah, for sure. We, we see a lot of quotes for parts that are going to go into, uh, you know, an electric vehicle or something other than internal combustion. The reality is, is that uh, there are more, if you, if you look at the content today of aluminum in, in vehicles and you fast forward those cafe regulations, it's not necessarily all just about the engine of going from combustion to electric. It's talking about light, you know, having a lighter weight vehicle as well, right? So you, you can't separate those things. So the reality is, if you look, the, look at the statistics of just the content, there's going to be more aluminum in the future, not less. You know, if it's steel, can it be made aluminum? If it's aluminum, can it be some kind of composite or plastic? So the, the direction is clear and it's going one way. And there's going to be more aluminum content. So more aluminum content is, is good for those of us who, who die cast. So the reality is, Maybe they're going to bring us different parts. Okay, we don't have you don't have to have that transmission part because you no longer have a transmission. However, you need more brackets or you need more this or more that. You know, the reality is we take liquid aluminum and we pour it into the shape that these guys need. Right? We're not designing their vehicles or the you know transmission systems or, or the engines or the whatevers. They're bringing us, and then we're trying to improve on that design. But the reality is we're filling the hole that they need for their vehicles. Whether it's combustion or not, it doesn't matter. The question and the trick is, you know, today, how it works in automotive market is we're trying to bid on, on projects and vehicles and programs that are going to come to fruition, say, 24 months from now. So don't get me started on trying to figure out what the economics are going to be, not only two years from now, but that program is going to run for six years. So i got to figure out, okay, in the next eight years, you know, what, what's, what's labor going to cost? And uh, so forget that for the moment. It's just also, what is the volume? So you're, you're having to take what the, uh, say the, the OEM is telling you is, hey, we think this is going to be the volume of this program, you know, starting in two years and going for the next six. They're also making the bet on how does EV play versus combustion because that, that's different parts for different vehicles. And so it's a bit of a bet. And they think, oh, no, EV is really going to take this. And what we have seen in the last, just I'm just going to use the last 12 months because you know, going back too far kind of doesn't matter. But it's coming. All of that's coming. However, it's not going at the rate that they think. Uh, I, don't get, I don't want to get started on the losses they've had, but you know the consumers have spoken, and, and it's really expensive. That's kind of my question: is that like as you know, a, a consumer myself? So I'll I'll digress. I have a short story. So my daughter is nine. Okay, she came to me I don't know two years ago and said, "When I drive a car, it's gonna be a Tesla." And I said, "Good for you." Um, why? And she's like, well, it looks really, really cool. And it's electric. And I said, oh, okay, sounds sounds good. So we were driving, I don't know, it was like last weekend. And she goes, mom, when I can drive, I'm going to drive a Buick. And I said, okay, that's a bit of a shift. Um, but tell me why. And she's like, well, I just don't understand electric cars. I have to wait a long time for this car to charge. If I need to go somewhere, what if I'm late for work? And I was just like, well, your point's not wrong. I mean, like I understand the concept of it, but if a nine-year-old can kind of see like some of, just a very small part of like some of the reasoning behind it, not that we can't get ahead of that and that there won't be just ports and all houses and all this other stuff. Economically speaking, if we can barely afford a sandwich, because the $5 foot long now costs $20. Will we be able to, to afford an EV? Like, will everybody be able to afford an EV? Like, I just don't know how 
you can push everything out there for everyone, but if they don't have the money to buy it or a, or a house now, um, because the housing market is crazy and, you know, $300,000 is going to buy you a, a ranch house at this point. Like it, I just, it's all astounding to me that we're kind of putting all of our, not all of our eggs, but a lot of our eggs in that basket kind of saying, well, this is the, this is the future. So this, this is what we're doing. For sure on the manufacturing side, whether it's the OEM or the supply base, you know, if you're making a thousand combustion engine cars and you're making two electric cars, you know, the cost does not, doesn't make sense. Right. So as the demand comes up and the, the manufacturing capacity comes up, you know, the, those and Tesla is doing their part to try to bring the prices down, but that kind of has to come with the volume. Right. So it's, it's a really tricky thing if well, you know, you kind of have to get there to make it competitive. So you're going to have to make this big bet. So at the same time, how do, how do the prices for either play? And then there's a part of the, the market that is speaking to say, I like my engine grumbling and the roar and the, you know, and I like what I like and, and I'm worried about what that battery might cost and where does that battery go? I'm not, maybe I'm not helping. Uh, and frankly, here in Kentucky, you know, I, I think Kentucky loves the battery movement. We've landed several, you know, multi-thousand, you know, uh, employee type plants to make batteries for the, the market. So it's, it's, it's going to be good. However, where do those things go? You know, is the grid ready to, to challenge? There's all kinds of, of uh, easy obstacles to throw out there. It's coming, uh, but how the economics flow, your nine-year-old is right on it. Yep. She's ready to buy a Buick. I don't know. I don't know with what money. Actually, she's going to get a job. For so. Well, I, I have a whole host of questions even beyond this, but I, I'm going to kind of stop right now. And I, I'd like to kind of summarize, and, and I want the two of you, um, and, and Eric, I'm going to start again with you. Uh, you know, give me your, your outlook for, for you, your company, products. You know, today, it's 2023, 2028, 2050. You know, I, I know going out that far is really difficult, but, you know, 2023 being, you know, set or 2030 being seven years ago, seven years from now, what do you see? You know, Greg just mentioned a whole lot of things, you know, what's inflation going to do? What's, you know, our, our employee costs going to do? What are costs in general going to do? Really tough economic questions. Um, <laughs> but, but what are your thoughts as far as your company? Well, we certainly need a crystal ball on that, but uh, I think the very near term, um, I think we've got some struggles ahead of us. Um, I don't think the economy, in some respects, from a manufacturing um, perspective, knows where it's going. Service industries are doing fantastic. Hotels, restaurants, travel industry, people got a lot of money. That's all going really good. Uh, last month, uh, um, 300,000 jobs uh, created uh, in the service industries and 36,000 jobs in manufacturing lost. Those are the exact statistics uh, just came out yesterday. So near term, I think we've got some some concerns on our hand. Not not all uh, manufacturing companies, but certain industries for sure. But I think longer term, you know, everything's going to be it's, it's, just, it's a roller coaster cycle. We did this in in, in 2008, 2009. We did this in 2001. We did this in the in the early 90s. We did it in the 80s. It's just the, the same cycle that businesses go through um, decade after decade. And, and we're, we've had a great run, really, for a while now, 
there's no doubt about it. I think we're, I think we're, we have a rough patch near term. I think long term will be good, but it's going to hinge on how we all adapt to a changing landscape of, of labor. Um, we're certainly going to need a lot more automation, um, and we're poised for that. We are really, really next to safety, um, and they're kind of related. Um, implementation of automation is is really our number one initiative right now um, because, as Greg knows, in our industry, at least for us specifically, uh, labor is the high, by far the highest cost component. Um, we don't make heavy enough die castings to have metal even remotely be close to labor as, as our highest cost driver. So we have to focus exclusively uh, on, on uh, automation in all areas of the company, whether it's CNC machining, whether it's trimming, whether it's um, visual inspection, uh, hand operations, uh, extraction of the die casting machines. And then let's not forget AI. I mean, every everywhere we turn, we're all talking about AI and and uh, how uh, you know uh, chatbots and all that and, and is going to replace things. And and so um, there's certainly going to be a role there. I don't know what it is yet uh, in diecasting versus some other industries, but we won't ignore that either. Right. Uh, yeah. AI and ChatGPT. Who knows where that's going to go? Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Greg? Yeah, I, I, I think Eric is exactly right in regards to labor is our, our near-term challenge, and I do not believe it's going to change anytime soon, so uh, not to, to be a little more of a downer on it. However, if you go back and look at birthing statistics over many decades, what you'll see in 2008, 9, 10, 11, you remember those years economically? Well, look at the birth rates for those years, right? And now think 18 years from those years in regards to people coming into the workplace, it's not going to get any better. So we, we've got some tougher years ahead of us in regards to labor market, aside from you know manufacturing. Uh, to Eric's point, you know we've got to automate as much as we can and make jobs easier, or if not, you know eliminate them because of just the availability and you know the willingness to come in. Because if I can sit uh, sit in my mother's basement and you know make a TikTok video and make some cash for lunch, I'm good. You know? So there's a challenge for, for us. So we've, we've got to continue to improve our industry because of that availability. I, I think that, uh, you know, aside from my five kids and my wife, you know, doing their part in the economy and trust me, they're out there every day. I can't sure imagine. Stays. Yeah, they're, they're, can't it's imagine. like they don't have a clue. So every, every economic report I see is they're waiting on this recession to happen, but we all keep buying stuff like it's no tomorrow. So as long as we keep doing that, I think it'll keep going. So I think demand is going to stay there. There's no shortage of that. There's certainly less people in the workforce uh, than there were a few years ago. So therefore, you know, same amount of products, if not more, are having to be made by less people. So automation is absolutely the, the key to that. I think the innovation will keep going and so you know we, we have to keep pushing that but otherwise that uh that 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 ongoing inflation thing of you know maybe last year everybody or maybe you got portion of your your uh economics passed through and then those other suppliers so there are supplier suppliers and, and so as everybody has been successful in passing that through it continues to work itself down the chain if milk's not 12 dollars a gallon by you know next year something's not right right because it ought to be probably so the, the challenges will keep coming, but it's it's labor and automation is the key. 
Hey, Greg, you uh, you had the uh, TikTok analogy with the guy sitting in the basement. We 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 call that the cap Captain Sweatpants syndrome. <laughs> Sorry, you can, you you can edit that one out, Athena. I will. I will not. I would say though, put all put all of that stuff in one little mix, and I would tell you that Greg's role as a part time trimmer is not ending anytime soon. I'll, I'll be staying out there. All right. Well, I I want to thank everybody for being part of this today. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation and and your perspectives, you know, from each one of your companies. And, and the market you guys serve. And, and once again, I, I think it's great as far as American made companies, you know, both of your companies, American made and, and you know, American run um, and, you know, definitely providing for the, the people that, that you employ. And I appreciate that. Yes, thank you guys. And we might be looking at a part two, honestly. There were a lot of things we didn't talk about. <laughs> there was a lot of things we didn't cover that I had written down, yeah. Thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks so much. Good to see you guys. Thank you so much, guys. Take care. Have a great day.